Welcome to the River Rain Show. I'm your host, Catherine Allen, clairvoyant medium and astrologer. Tonight, we will share great music, movie clips, short stories, or quotes, all on our theme of this week. So grab yourself a tea, get yourself comfy and warm, sit back and be soothed by the music, the inspiration, and the introspection. Welcome to the River Rain Show. Feel like I won't get you out of my mind. 
Good evening. Welcome to the River Rain Show, and uh, I'm back after a bit of a hiatus. I had a little bit of a an adventure fixing my computer. It took about ten days. Yeah, and um, I had to, long story short, replace the hard drive in this computer, and then my radio software didn't work. And uh, thanks to the producer, Warren, got it all up and running again. So that is why I was away last week and didn't do this show on Clear Audience that we're going to do now. So I'm back and I'm happy to be back. And I hope that everyone out there is doing well. I hope that uh, you're finding ways to keep yourself healthy and keep yourself in good spirits uh, with as positive an outlook as possible. Uh, during these very weird times that we're living through. So I hope also that this show can be, you know, a source of life skills and tools um, or just a source of of comfort, perhaps. But I'm going to be, you know, focusing as usual on things that help you either deal with emotions, things that uh, soothe you, things that stimulate and inspire and things that uh, teach you or affirm you in your, whoops, computer's talking to me, uh, that affirm you in your intuition. So tonight um, we're going to be talking about clairaudience, um, my first show about intuition. And if you want to listen to any of the shows, by the way, they are all on the app. It's called Anchor anchor.com it looks like a purple little speaker sign or sort of symbol or you can find them all on my website and you can download them from apple music spotify all kinds of places platforms where you wherever you're listening from if you would like to hear previous shows so i did one on intuition and i focused mainly on clairvoyance for that one and i want to bring you a few more shows based on my book and really breaking things down now into different categories, ways that your intuition will speak through you. And one of those is clairaudience, and clairaudience means clear hearing. And it might be one of the, the toughest to talk about because, and I'm going to include this in the show with a TED Talk, there's a very fine line for people between hearing a voice in your head because we all hear something that is your higher self or something to be acted upon and we all hear a voice in our head that is the inner critic or could be the you know the unfortunately negative um, treatment you might have had when you were on the schoolyard or from your parents or something that you know that can still feel like you're hearing something um, in your head when you're hearing I'm no good or no one ever cares or negative messages like that they can be self-generated and they can come from trauma um, and that is not clear audience and we can hear a voice in our head also saying, urging us to do other things that are not necessarily good for us or healthy or, you know, well thought through. And 
It's a tricky slope, what we're talking about tonight. How do you know when you are hearing something clearly that you can trust and that you can act upon? And we can take it all the way to the other uh, part of the spectrum, which would be the mental health spectrum and all the stigma of hearing a voice that somebody who is uh, schizophrenic would hear. Now, I'm going to help try to make some of those distinctions tonight in the show, but I also want to be clear that this show is not a diagnostic tool. And uh, if anyone out there is hearing repetitive uh, voices or negative messages or thoughts, you would want to seek some help with that uh, professionally or privately. What I'm here to do tonight, though, is for those of you that do find that you hear little, uh, you know, a song title or a friend's name and there they are, they appear, or you hear, um, call in sick tomorrow, huh? Where did that come from? And you do it and it turns out to be uh, the best thing that you ever did. So I'm here to talk about how do you know when and how do you discern when you listen to that inner voice and it gets a bit psychological the show tonight right because we're talking about the intimate inner workings of your mind and your thoughts and what to listen and pay attention to and what not to can be very tricky and it's not going to be solved in one show either and it it took me probably longer to develop and trust this aspect than it did with many of the other things for these very reasons so if you're ready to come along on the ride and explore what these higher voices higher self or lower energies let's say or including traumatic memories negative thinking things other people have said to you or things that even you feel you are hearing when they are negative and we're going to talk about how to discern and deal with that and of course we're going to talk about lots of other things about uh, music and listening to yourself in a positive way. It's so important right now, our mental health during a crisis, during a quarantine, we have more time alone than we've had in a long, long, long time, right? We've had um, more isolation than we've had in a long time or more proximity to people that you're quarantining with. And I think it heightens and intensifies everything for everybody. And if you're here listening to a show like this as part of your way of, of uh, balancing or coping, then, you know, I'll take you on, on that, that journey with me. And um, if your intuition is heightened right now or you're having a harder time discerning what, what thoughts or, um, you know, how to how to make sense of your thought process and what things to act on or not act on in terms of your thoughts. I'm going to try to help you with that tonight. So I'll be reading a little bit from my book, uh, although I didn't write a huge long section on Claire audience for this very reason. I, I find that this topic, as I said, is, is probably the most sensitive. And because of that, it would really need to be, uh, if something like this is going on and the show rings true for you, you may want to see me privately because one-on-one -on -one I can help people quite a bit to discern um, 
when whether something feels like an old um, an old soundtrack that you're replaying that is not true versus um, something that is coming from outside meaning um, yeah even that's leading into a lot of <laughs> depth and depth terrain for the beginning but let's let's just say sometimes people have thoughts intrusive thoughts and it can come from all kinds of different sources and so we can talk about about what that is and how to deal with it uh, much easier when uh, when we're one-on-one -on -one. anyway I'm going to do my best to show you a little bit how to discern and trust tonight for sure and um, you know the more we can practice really being honest with ourselves and our thoughts and really being um, discerning and positive with our thoughts it's a life's work but the better we get at it I think the easier it'll be to navigate life in general tough times like this and when we're done these tough times when it's behind us too all right so the first song of the night uh, song of the week is an oldie but a goodie and it is called listen
that was listened by Tears for Fears. I love that song. So, The Voice by Shel Silverstein. There is a voice inside of you that whispers all day long. I feel this is right for me. I know that this is wrong. No teacher, preacher, parent, friend, or wise man can decide what's right for you. Just listen to the voice that speaks inside. So I want to start the show with that tonight and just ask you to ask yourself, do you trust your inner voice? What does inner voice mean to you? How do you experience it? Are you lying down in bed about to go to sleep when you hear something walk across your brain? Oh, you know what? I forgot to send that paper in. Or maybe it's something less mundane and it says your name. You hear somebody calling your name at night. Maybe you're in the middle of uh, washing dishes, doing laundry, making dinner, and you suddenly hear, uh, I should call my mom. And then you do, and you find out that she needs you for some reason. So how do you experience your inner voice? You know, some people, this is a lot of why people will meditate, right? They'll try to calm their mind so that they can hear. And a lot of people are hoping that once, as soon as they calm their, their mind or they meditate for a few minutes, that they're going to hear some crystal clear direction as if it's directly from God saying, you know what? You really have to do this by Tuesday at 7 p.m. Otherwise, there's something really precise like that. And it doesn't quite work that way. It's hard to describe if you haven't lived it. But intuition tends to appear to us or arise or be felt or heard or sensed when we are not in our usual rational brain kind of mind state. It happens when we are relaxed and when we are not trying to analyze things. So when you're sitting down, you know, analyzing or being rational about something and you're trying to like figure it out and then and then and and this and that's why and okay you are in a different part of your brain at that moment that is meant for that task and your intuition or a message is not going to come in that kind of way in that kind of voice what tends to happen is as I mentioned you're about to fall asleep you are doing the dishes or the laundry, something where you're completely immersed in the task and your brain is on automatic and your mind is relaxed because you're not figuring, 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 or worrying, 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 or wondering, 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 wondering. Intuition happens. Intuition comes when you're not trying. It comes when you're completely open and relaxed and you can't sit there and meditate and say, okay, come on, intuition, come on. I'm relaxed now. Come on, tell me what to do. It doesn't work that way. So when do you hear your inner voice the most? When are you the most relaxed? What tasks, what times of day, what things do you do 
put your mind at ease so that you are not either worrying, anxious, trying to figure things out, trying to analyze things, trying to, fig trying to predict things. When are you most likely to be in that state? We can all find the places, environments, or activities that help us access a calmer mind. We can all figure that out for ourselves and we can place ourselves and let ourselves have that space, that break, that conducive environment more and more and more. For me, it can happen in many different ways and places because I've designed my life this way now. So I will meditate, but I don't need to meditate. It can happen on a walk. It's easier if I'm walking alone, obviously. It's hard to maintain a conversation and receive intuition. It can be done, but it's hard. Then you start feeling conflicting voices. Being in nature helps. Being by water helps. Sometimes deeply involved in uh, a task like laundry or dishes, but or for me, uh, because I do some sewing, sometimes it's in the middle of my sewing project that I get the deepest insights. Sometimes it's while I'm having a nap with the cat and my mind is completely relaxed and in the present moment, I might receive a message. Sometimes it's when you're driving. Depends, you know, obviously not heavy driving, but if you're, you know, if you're coasting and there's not a lot of traffic and you're relaxed and you are just got the radio on, you're not thinking of much, poof, sometimes something can hit you. You can hear something. And um, the trick after that is acting on it. And we're going to talk about about that as uh, the next chunk of our show. But first, I'm going to play you a little more music. And I want you to really try to think about this environment that you need for um, the best results to hear yourself think. Think about that. And we're going to play this awesome song. Thank you. 
ocean Three stars Delivering signs and dusting from their eyes Listen to your own voice, your own soul. Too many people listen to the noise of the world instead of themselves. How many of you find that difficult? Eh? I think most of us would find that difficult. We are bombarded by media all the time. You know, it's very... Um, it's a skill that requires even more skill than it used to 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 get through all of the external noise and external opinions and hear your own voice and your own soul and know that it is yours that it is you that you are listening to and not what your parents want, what your friends think, what the neighbors think, what, your, what the media says you should do. And right now, of all times during COVID-19, when we're getting bombarded with theories and mixed messages and advice and experts on different sides of the fence and conspiracies or not, um, it is extremely hard right now for a lot of people to know. Is that really what I think or am I being influenced and then other people are very rigid in what they think and nothing will influence them and maybe they're right or maybe they're completely off but they're dogmatic and that's that's you know that's another way to cope um, and that that level of rigidity won't allow you to really hear your intuition so I'm speaking more to, to you if you are sometimes getting a feeling of what is your own inner voice or your own inclination or intuition and it seems to go against what your friends or Facebook or uh, the media are saying. That's a tough place to be, but sometimes that's exactly what you need to do. And it's hard to know when, right? It's hard to know when am I, when am I hearing something true that I can act on? Because if it's going against, you know, maybe other people's um, opinions, especially when it comes to the news or experts, it can be very scary to say, well, that's not what I'm feeling. That's not what I'm feeling guided to do. Um, you know, what we need to do for ourselves can sometimes run counter to what the mainstream is going to say or our families or whoever when you really get in touch with your own true voice there will definitely i'll tell you there'll definitely be times when you do things that go against the uh what you will be you will somehow rock the boat doesn't mean in a huge way but 
there will, bo there will be boats rocked by doing it. But that's the only way to test it and know whether you've done something true for yourself. I'm going to read now a bit from my book and we're going to delve a little deeper into clairaudience. So clairaudience, clear hearing. Things can become tricky with clairaudience because we associate hearing voices with mental illness. But many people hear things at some point in their lives. They hear a small voice call their name. They hear a clear voice saying, don't go tonight or take the bus while they're considering driving or taking a train home. Other times it's a simple yes or no that comes when asking yourself something or hearing someone else ask for something. So here are some common ways clairaudience may first show up in your life. So you're at a party and there's a gathering of people around you in the living room and you're telling a story. And you have everyone's attention as you tell people what happened and you find yourself starting to say something insightful about it near the end. Everyone around you pauses for a second and someone says, wow, pretty wise words there. And you smile and feel a bit of a high and maybe laugh and say, yeah, no clue where that came from. This happens all the time as we relax enough to let ourselves flow when talking. You will not be censoring yourself with self-conscious anxiety. You may be hearing your higher self, that wise part of you that knows. Other times you may be channeling a spirit around you without knowing it. So how many of you out there have had that experience? You know, it comes again, it comes when you're in a flow, when your analytic critical mind is turned off. So storytelling can be a great one for you to get in touch with hearing other words or accessing your higher self, your higher wisdom. When we're always um, worried about what other people are going to think or whether it's funny or whether people are pleased with what we said or did I remember what she told me, I want to be clever, I want to make sure they know that I'm paying attention to them. Oh, all of those mental gymnastics where you're working so hard in communication, it, it's not going to flow the clairaudience. But if you are being true to yourself and trusting that if you need to say something and you tell a story, whatever comes out of you comes out. Or maybe if people, you know, have the guts and they do stand-up comedy or something, actors, uh, musicians, they are able to relax something in, in themselves and just let, let that creative impulse or that other higher voice or that other thing speak through them. And then you get, you know, pretty brilliant results. When, they let, when you let things flow. A lot of musicians will say that they sort of just heard, you know, a riff. They heard a, a verse or a line, and it was just so strong that they based a whole song out of it. You know, you'll hear a lot of famous musicians say stuff like that. So it's the beginning of hearing your higher self and connecting to your higher voice. It is clear audience. You clearly received something in a verbal form. Now, it's not like somebody speaking on your shoulder like pss, 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 and believing there's somebody talking right there beside you. That is not healthy. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about 
a feeling of receiving like a sentence or a phrase, sort of like the musician example, where out of nowhere, you know, guy's playing his guitar and he just hears, I don't know, here comes the sun or something. And then they go, oh, wow, brilliant. Let's write a song about that. I don't know if that's the case for the Beatles. I didn't research this. But that's the way uh, Claire Audience works. That, that's an easy one to understand when it's a song. But what about when Claire Audience is walking along the street and you hear, my job is going to end in three months. Huh? You know, you'd be like, at first you're, you, you might be sort of surprised and you might have like an aftermath type of reaction, you know, to your to what you received but when you when you heard it you distinctly heard a, that that very clear phrase and a clear timing when things like that happen it's very often clear audience you weren't walking along worrying i wonder if they're going to let me go i wonder how long my work will last i wonder will it maybe if they maybe if she quits then they can keep me maybe if i renew my contract blah blah blah, blah. no that's not and then you hear, oh yeah, it's going to end in three months. No, that's not clear audience. That's anxiety, and that's you trying to predict your, your future. And you probably will be wrong. Clear audience is walking the dog, looking at the trees, smelling the green grass, don't have a care in the world. Boom, my job's going to end in three months. Out of nowhere. Out of nowhere, when you were not trying with some precision, with something specific, something that's not harmful, by the way. If you ever hear a voice that tells you to do something harmful to yourself or others, that is not clairvoyance or clairaudience, excuse me, that is a red flag and you should get some help. But if you're hearing mundane little things like that and they are coming to you very clearly, like a clear phrase, word, sentence, specific when you were not trying, chances are you're hearing something clairaudient. So I wonder if you're listening to your own voice and your own soul, and if you're able to get a sense of tuning out the many, 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 many voices around you that are wanting your attention and listen and hear what you're hearing and what you're receiving. I'm going to give you some music again, and you can think about if you have examples of that.
Listen to the music. Gotta love that song. I'm playing you some happy music because I think we need it. And because the topic, this topic can be, as I said, a little bit dicey, a little bit difficult for people. Um, but it's so important. So I'm really glad you're here listening with me. I'm going to continue reading another example of clear audience from my book here. And my book, I didn't mention, so I mean the title. Uh, my book is called A Little Bit of Intuition, An Introduction to Extrasensory Perception. And you can get it at Amazon.com or .ca. And uh, Goodreads, Indigo Chapters, Barnes & Noble, all kinds of places. So here's another example. All right. Someone tells you about a situation in which they need... Boy, people are constantly pinging me on Facebook. I'm sorry. Someone tells you about a situation in which they need to make a decision about something complex or emotional. You listen to them, tell the circumstances, and weigh their options out loud, and suddenly you hear a voice say, get a second opinion, or wait a month. It will be something that you suddenly hear that you feel compelled to say to them. It will be clear to you that you're receiving this message and have to say it right then and there. It won't be something you previously wanted to say as you were also weighing and analyzing their situation. It'll pop out of nowhere and it'll be very clear. Now I'm sure when I say that example that many people can relate to that. How many times can you think of where you're listening to somebody that you love, or maybe not somebody that you love, maybe you overhear something on a bus, and you hear a situation being described, and the he said, and the she said, and the they, and this, and, and you just hear a, you just hear something in your head about their situation. Or, you know, this is a little bit of, a, of an example that I used to get years ago, as things were developing and I didn't realize that I had the clear audience so strongly, I used to sing in an Italian wedding orchestra. I was the girl singer, so I had to sing the Macarena and I Will Always Love You like more times than you can imagine. And it was a lot of fun. But after doing many, many weddings, you know, um, you know a wedding is obviously a sacred moment in someone's life but when you're on the other side of it and you're working with weddings you know you suddenly just see all of the variety of people 
coming in back to back to back, you know, every week a different wedding, sometimes two or three weddings per week. You're seeing these different weddings and different couples. And so very often I would find that the second I saw the couple come in, I knew if they were going to make it or they weren't, you know, I could, I could see, or I might hear, uh, and these two, they're so in love. They're, they're perfect for each other. And others would walk in and I'd be like, I give it six months, you know, and the guys in the band were also pretty intuitive about that too. Probably because we were in a situation where we were constantly seeing new couples and by comparison, you know, you could, you could just get a vibe and tell who was cohesive and happy and in love and who was like forcing it, you know, or who knows, maybe grandma wanted them to get married. And so they hurried it up. Who knows what? Um, and, and I used to hear, you know, hear stuff like that. I'd see the couple and I'd, I'd hear yeah, two years max, or I'd hear something like that. Sometimes maybe you're going to be out in a shopping mall, you know, you overhear somebody going, should I get the blue one or the black one? I don't know. What do you think looks best on me? So-and-so. And you might just hear, take a glance here in your head, blue, or you might even hear, don't bother. doesn't look good on you at all. You know, like little things like that. They're just inconsequential to you, but they're clairaudient if you were completely in a different, peaceful, open, calm state of mind. You were not thinking about them at all. And the words popped into your head. You know, otherwise it's just an opinion. Anybody can look over the black one or the blue one. And you can be like annoyed and like look over and go, oh my God, she shouldn't buy either of them. The, not the right color. Or yes, oh my, this one is perfect for her. I hope she, I hope she buys that one. You know, that, that's anybody can have an opinion. But Claire audience would be, you know, you're, you're looking at records. <laughs> I don't know. Records. Yeah. Listen to me. Well, records are coming back. So forgive me, but you're looking, you're looking in a different section of the store. You're thinking about the fact that you've got to figure out uh, a birthday present for your, for your brother. And as you're thinking of that, and you take a look at these people, you hear the blue one. Maybe you didn't know that they were choosing. It, see, it's very subtle. It's not really spectacular information or life-changing all information. That's the way a lot of the time these abilities and our intuition works. A lot of the time it is quite mundane, actually. So we try to just learn to develop it by spotting it with the small stuff. Um, you can do that by anything where you need to make a choice. Um, let's say you're wide open to, uh, let's go to this street and pick a restaurant. Where do you want to eat? I don't know. And you can just sort of say, okay, um, I'm open to hearing where should we go tonight? And maybe you'll hear, uh, falafel in your head. Well, I just heard falafel. So let's go have Lebanese. Okay. It can work like that. Um, and yeah, it's just about what you have for dinner. It's not like a huge consequence. The ones that tend to really stick with people or that, you know, turn out to be, um, let's say, helpful to guide people or predictive are the
are the ones that um, you are completely focused on something else in a calm, meditative, or, you know, doing the vacuuming, cutting the grass, uh, doing your sit-ups, something where your mind is really not thinking about much, and you get like an intrusive flash thought bunch of words could be a phrase could be a couple words usually it's very precise usually it's it's quite like it's a detailed or precise quick kind of message and those are the tend to be the kind that you can um you can investigate and see is this does this make sense you know, do I do I communicate that to someone to, to somebody or not? Do I act on that or not? You know, um, I can think of again. It might seem mundane, but it does have consequences in our lives. But let's say it's a relationship related, um, and you're pursuing dating somebody, somebody that you like, and maybe for for no reason at all, you're I don't know. Maybe you're riding your bike somewhere. And you're thinking about um, the fact that you've got to come home and finish some work before you go to bed. And out of nowhere you hear, pull back, pull back. And you think of this person as you're feeling, as you're hearing the words. You know, that you can take a look at that and say, oh, interesting. I'm getting that message out of nowhere to pull back with this person. So then you can take that and ponder and meditate on it for a while and ask yourself, does this feel right to pull back right now from this relationship? Is it because that's your intuition telling you, perhaps, maybe you're maybe something has become unbalanced. Maybe something's going on with them. But your intuition is telling you clear audiently to pull back. How many of you have had examples like this? I'm sure you have. They might be hard to they might be hard to remember because there's so many when they're the, the little mundane things like buying the blue one or the black one or what to eat for dinner. But if you can remember at least one example when you heard words that ended up guiding you about a relationship or guiding someone else's life or helping them make a choice that actually made a difference, that's pretty empowering stuff for your, for your clear audience. Let's play you a little more music for you to ponder whether you've had this kind of example in your life. This is a lovely, a lovely tune. Here we go. The gentleman is a dope, a man of many faults, a clumsy joke wouldn't know a rumba from a waltz the gentleman is a dope and not my cup of tea why do i get in a dither he doesn't belong to me the gentleman isn't bright he doesn't know the score Cake will come, he'll take a crumb and never ask for more. The gentleman's eyes are blue, but little do they see. 
Why am I beating my brains out? He doesn't belong to me. He's somebody else's problem. She's welcome to the guy. She'll never understand him half as well as I. The gentleman is a dope. He isn't very smart. He's just a lug you'd like to hug and hold against your heart. The gentleman doesn't know. How happy he could be! Look at me crying my eyes out, as if he belonged to me. He'll never belong to me. Doesn't know the score. A cake will come. He'll take a crumb and never ask for more. The gentleman's eyes are blue, but little do they see. Why am I beating my brains out? He doesn't belong to me. He's somebody else's problem. Welcome to the guy. She'll never understand him half as well as I. The gentleman is a dope. He isn't very smart. He's just a lug you'd like to hug and hold. Against your heart, the gentleman doesn't know how happy he could be. Look at me crying my eyes out, as if he belonged to me.
Message in a bottle, the police. If only life were that simple, right? Just receiving a message in a bottle just tells you what to do. It arrives right when you need it. It says, hey, this is what you need to do. This is what life means. This is what you can do that'll change and turn everything around for the better and everything will be effortless after that. It just arrives, floats there, open it up, tells you what to do. Right. That's a fantasy, eh? Great, great image in the song, though. So, don't shush your inner voice. It's who you really are. And that's another aspect where we can hear our inner self. It might not feel like clear audience, like like you've received words, like guidance from a from your higher self or guidance. But certainly, 
we have to listen to that inner voice, those thoughts that are going on. Because if they're screaming at you over and over, there's a reason. And you've got to listen to that before you might calm your mind and start to get the other type of Claire audience too. Because whatever's disturbing you, whatever is keeping you up at night, you know, whatever is making you anxious, whatever is forcing you to plan, you know, and go over every detail. Um, sometimes, you know, times like this, some of us legitimately need to be doing that, you know, to turn our attention to solving a problem that way. But I'm hoping you'll also be able to find a way to relax your mind so that your, your solutions can come from your intuition as well. When both work together, it could be beautiful. So if you don't shush your inner voice, if you listen when you hear a thought that keeps saying, you need to exercise, you need to exercise, <laughs> right? Now you can take that as like a self-judging voice or you can take it as a motivation. But if that's what you're hearing over and over again, it's time to listen. Maybe something will tell you, save, save, save your money, save your money, save your money, save your money. If you're hearing a repetitive thing in your head, you know, you've got to quiet those thoughts by listening to them. Now, we're going to talk also about the inner critic and those voices in your head that are not helpful and that are not predictive and that are not clairaudience. But first, I'm going to read you a little more from the book, and then we're going to delve into how to deal with the inner critic and the negative thinking that also gets in the way. So here is another example. Okay, and now I'm getting messages from TikTok videos. My Lord. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So as you become more adept at listening to your inner voice or spirit guidance, you'll start to hear more specific things. You might hear the name of a person or a place. Sometimes you'll hear a phrase rather than just a word, and it might have very precise detail to it. When Clairaudience began for me, I had no idea what was happening, but I trusted what popped into my consciousness because I felt it was clear and true. I didn't question the source, I, I didn't ask myself if this inner voice was my higher self or a spirit guide. What I did was that. What I did notice was that over the years of doing thousands of readings, I found myself saying more and more, they are telling me, and I would relay what I was hearing. Sometimes I heard words that I didn't know the meaning of in my waking life. I would hear legal jargon, technical terminology, names of cities I'd never heard of, and names of people sometimes I'd never heard of. When I risked saying them, as I learned with my mentor, Eric, even though it felt crazy, because I knew it wasn't coming from me, it almost always turned out to be relevant to the other person sitting in front of me. We all have an image of hearing voices in our head as if we are taken over possessed by something evil we didn't invite, and now it has control over our minds. This does exist, but it's very rare. 
It's also important to be careful when we open up to clairaudience because, as I learned the hard way, the spirits that wish to speak through you aren't always good, and we have to learn to tell the difference. This is where mediumship begins, and that is beyond the scope of this book. And it's beyond the scope of this radio show tonight, too, but it is. It's the beginning of mediumship once your clairaudience is reliable and you're developing it. And it is reliable, like meaning you have tested it and it has been accurate. And you're, and this is the way you get information is audience, clairaudience. Very often that's the beginning of mediumship. Um, if you were at the beginning level of clairaudience, you're safe to experiment and follow words or phrases that pop up, but only if they don't suggest harming someone else or yourself. The same applies to clairvoyance if you have a vision of harming another or self. Self-harming, this is not clairvoyance and should never be acted upon. A safe measure you can act upon, the clairaudient messages you receive is this. If it's positive guidance, so your own or spirit guide, angel, ancestor, those messages will always be simple and non-directive. They're not telling you what to do. They're not urgent. They're giving a sense of relief or clarity. Anything you hear that brings you stress, complicated thoughts or emotions, or is bossy, directive, is not clairaudience and should not be acted on. Your clairs should only bring more clarity and ease in life. Clairs should bring clarity, not confusion, complication, pain, fear. So if whatever pops into mind immediately seems to be distressed or causes distress, you don't listen because it's either your inner critic your worst case scenario fantasy, or it is something around you, projected around you, in and around you that is not, that is negative. Clairaudience, when positive, feels like a comforting voice or a word that pops into your mind with no distress. It doesn't feel like something outside of you that wants to control you at all, at all. When you tap into your true clairaudience, it can be a very helpful tool in your life. So this opens the door to a few things, uh, topics in the show now. Because clairaudience and opening yourself up to hearing can be the beginnings of channeling or hearing, uh, communicating with spirit, we have to be really careful and we have to go very slowly. And so if you're at a level where you feel that's happening to you, I think you should consult someone like myself or another another medium and be sure that what you're doing is safe because as I mentioned not everything in the universe is all goodness and light and just because you are hearing something for the first time or sensing something around you it doesn't mean that it's always good and a lot of the time it is but you have to discern so for tonight's show, what I'm going to say, and for anybody, if this, you know, if this seems like total hoo-ha to you, or if it feels scary to you, you just disregard it. You're not there yet. What you want to just focus on is those simple day-to-day -day moments when 
you are asking for help with a decision and a word pops in your mind or your lot now we have GPS and ways and all of these things um, so we don't get lost on the road that much but let's say you were driving somewhere without the GPS and you weren't sure which way to go well maybe you're gonna hear keep right in your head and you do it and it takes you to where you need to go it's safe to follow the simple stuff that shows up and just if it doesn't lead you or anyone else to harm why not try why not see if it's leading you to something maybe you're walking along uh, you know once we can go back out and shop again uh, or travel again a, a great example would be just to be in a great mood decide that you're going to give yourself the afternoon to just wander around and explore something or somewhere you haven't been and as you walk by a place see if you get a pull see if you hear you know come on in you know see if you feel uh, compelled by the energy of a place to go inside and check out and see what happens maybe it's leading you to a wonderful time or the best meal you've ever had or to a pair of shoes that you're meant to have or who knows what amazing little things can happen when you flow with it so we're going to play a little more music and we're going to come back and talk about how we deal with that inner critic or negative uh, voices that you hear in your head and what to do about it all right here we go here's an oldie but a goodie
Let's talk now about what isn't clear audience. You know, when is it not a clear, crystal clear message, something from your higher self or a guide that you uh, need to listen to? When is it? When is it just us generating a negative self-speak? You know, whether that comes from yourself, whether that comes from a bad experience, a one-off, or whether that was something that you grew up with regularly, or whether it's part of your family environment, your work environment, and you sort of absorb these, you know, negative thoughts or that inner critic. Everyone's got one, and it depends, you know, it depends how severe it is, and it depends how you cope with it when it when it arrives. So I'm just going to read like a few examples of common sort of negative voices you might hear when it comes to your career and then some personal ones. And then we're going to sort of, hopefully it's going to show you how different it is when you receive a clairaudient message compared to when it's just good old negative toxic thinking, you know, or something that you don't listen to. Because it's very hard for everybody to overcome the inner critic. And it's very easy for you to hear a voice that shuts you down or puts you down and think, oh, you know, that's my, that's my inner voice. That's my higher self telling me that I'm terrible. No, your, your higher self would never tell you that you're terrible, you know, and a spirit guide would never say, yeah, you're, you're shitty at that. <laughs> that just doesn't happen. Okay. So discerning which is the negative self-speak or PTSD from something traumatic, something environmental, something that, you know, you're getting because you're in a toxic relationship, something like that, where those negative voices are really tough to discern. It's really important that you start to learn the difference so that you can uh, address it and not act on it or not let it in so that you believe it. Obviously, as kids, we didn't have a choice, you know, but now that we're adults, we do, and we have to work on this. So here's some common, like, negative self-speak you might have if it comes to your career. You don't know what you're doing. Who do you think you are? You'll never be successful. You're under too much pressure. You can't take it. You'll not ever, you'll not ever get every, everything done. You're so lazy. Uh, you should just put this off till tomorrow. No one appreciates you. You better be perfect or you'll get fired. No one likes you here. When are you ever going to get a real job? Nobody'd hire you. How many of you have something like that going on with your work? I'll bet you you do have at least one of them. I know when I look at that list and I think back to jobs before I was working for myself, Definitely, I had the uh, unappreciated one, and uh, you better be perfect or you'll get fired. Oh, yes. And that I know, for me, comes from a lot of childhood perfectionism growing up with a family of teachers and engineers. And then, you know, this incredible pressure to be a straight-A student. And so I felt like I had to be a perfect straight-A employee or I would get canned which of course never happened. So the more you have those kind of voices going on, 
the more you're going to interfere with your productivity, right? If you keep hearing, ah, just do it tomorrow, you're so lazy. You're putting yourself down, you're setting yourself up in self-fulfilling prophecy so that you won't get anything done. And people will start to see you as lazy. And then you'll go, see, they're right, I'm lazy. Because everybody's enforcing it. But did it really start with them or did it start with a voice in your in your head or a negative self-speak? You know, it's a slippery slope, I know, but it's really worth taking a look at it, especially if you get any of these and they're very repetitive, to take a look at where they come from. And it can take time for you to understand where they come from as well. But most of the time we're talking about a difficult experience that you had when you were younger a time when you felt you, f you failed or screwed up, uh, a time you don't forgive yourself for, or we're going back to childhood. So these are more general about self-worth, and I think everybody's got some of this going on. I can't do it. I can't make a mistake. Nobody loves me. I have to be perfect. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I'm not worth it. Yeah. Nasty. Nasty, negative, self-defeating, crappy thoughts. And they aren't true. And that's probably the first step, I would say, in recovery from these thoughts. First, you have to know that they're going on. You have to catch yourself doing it. You have to catch yourself if you're thinking these things. So that's step number one, so that you know, oh, I'm sabotaging myself here. Why am I thinking that? Why am I thinking no one loves me? That's crazy. And that's step two. You have to say, that's, that's, that's a weird thought. Why am I having that? That's not even true. I'm not worthy. Well, that's not true. And if you believe it's true, then we're going to create a life where we believe it's true. And you'll constantly be in situations where no one pays you enough, or you're left by your partner, or um, you don't get a break in life because you believe you're not worth it. It'll play out as an underlying soundtrack, and you'll make sure that it's true, consciously or not. So the first thing is recognizing that those negative thoughts are going on and then saying that's that's crazy that's not true you have to start to separate yourself from the thought and you have to sort of rebel against it in a way to make it so that it's separate from you and you can go when you hear that voice again because that might be coming from your dad and that came from his dad and his dad and his dad and it's just something we all have stuff passed along the family line that's either really positive and life-affirming and helps us go forward, and it's part of the psychi psychology of, the, of, you know, of your family line, and then we all have negative ones running through it too that tell you what your limits and what your punishments are and what you're, what you're worth and not worth and what you're supposed to achieve and don't. A lot of this stuff is encoded in generations, generations. So if you can at first spot and go, oh, I have to be perfect. Well, who says? Who says I have to be perfect? No, I don't. And then you can start to get a little bit of 
distance from it. And when you hear the thought again, you can go, oh, there's that thought again. That's not true. No, no, no. And eventually you can say, no, no, I'm not listening to that. And then eventually, there's a little exercise that I found that you can do that I think is totally helpful. I have another friend who, she used this method and it totally worked for her. And is this. Try giving your inner critic, critic a persona with a name and a wardrobe. So when you hear that voice that says, oh, you have to be perfect, well, use your intuition, build an image. Who's saying that? Or the one that says, oh, you're lazy, I'll leave it for tomorrow. What, is, what does that person look like? You know, how do they dress? How do they talk? And the reason it mentions to do that is because if you give it a persona, then you can separate it again from yourself psychologically. It's like it's something happening, like it's, like it's a person standing in your living room, but it's not who I am. It's just something going on, something in my environment. I don't have to take it on as my identity. It's not shaming me as who I am. It's a separate thing and it's out there and it's something going on and it's something I can deal with. It helps you exteriorize it like an object. This is all very psychological, but it does work. Trust me. So think about something right now that you do, that inner critic, that self-critical voice, something that you're always saying or you always feel like you're saying to yourself or hearing in your head that really takes you down. Just take a minute and think about it about what that thought is. Now I want you to visualize what that person would look like. Who's saying that? Is it male or female? Old or young? Slim, chubby, somewhere in between? What are the clothes? What, what do the clothes look like? Describe them. Hairstyle? Any glasses? Any jewelry? Watch? And just feel the overall vibe of this person. If you met them in real life, what would their vibe be like? And now the exercise says, offer them a nice cup of tea and a nap. They must be exhausted from constantly going over those negative thoughts. So take that negative voice person and offer them some tea. I love that. I think that's worth a shot. So... Try your best to discern the negative self-speak, the crappy, shitty thoughts. Notice that when you think those, even if they suddenly appear like intrusive, if it sinks your mood, makes you feel ashamed, bad about yourself, angry, agitated, at that moment, if you can catch yourself doing that, visualize that person the persona of who's saying it. Make them sit across the room. Take a look at them and say, 
I'm sorry you feel that way, but you're not true. You're not right. You're wrong about me. Here, have a cup of tea. I'm so happy the band's doing well. By the way, what's with the hair? Is that part of the new image? You know, this little hobby of yours has gone too far. Why can't you for once do something for me? Like what?
day I left home for the first time to go to university was a bright day, brimming with hope and optimism. I'd done well at school, expectations for me were high, and I gleefully entered the student life of lectures, parties, and traffic cone theft. Now, appearances, of course, can be deceptive, and to an extent, this feisty, energetic persona of lecture-going and traffic-owned-stealing was a veneer, albeit a very well-crafted and convincing one. Underneath, I was actually deeply unhappy, insecure, and fundamentally frightened. Frightened of other people, of the future, of failure, and of the emptiness that I felt was within me. But I was skilled at hiding it, and from the outside, appeared to be someone with everything to hope for and aspire to. This fantasy of invulnerability was so complete that I even deceived myself. And as the first semester ended and the second begun, there was no way that anyone could have predicted what was just about to happen. I was leaving a seminar when it started, humming to myself, fumbling with my bag, just as I'd done a hundred times before, when suddenly I heard a voice calmly observe, she is leaving the room. I looked around, and there was no one there, but the clarity and decisiveness of the comment was unmistakable. Shaken, I left my books on the stairs and hurried home, and there it was again. She is opening the door. This was the beginning. The voice had arrived. And the voice persisted. Days and then weeks of it, on and on, narrating everything I did in the third person. She is going to the library. She is going to a lecture. It was neutral. Impassive, and even after a while, strangely companionate and reassuring. Although I did notice that its calm exterior sometimes slipped, in that it occasionally mirrored my own unexpressed emotion. So, for example, if I was angry and had to hide it, which I often did, being very adept at concealing how I really felt, then the voice would sound frustrated. Otherwise, it was neither sinister nor disturbing. Although even at that point, it was clear that it had something to communicate to me about my emotions. Particularly emotions which were remote and inaccessible. Now, it was then that I made a fatal mistake in that I told a friend about the voice, and she was horrified. A subtle conditioning process had begun. The implication that normal people don't hear voices, and the fact that I did, meant that something was very seriously wrong. Such fear and mistrust was infectious. Suddenly. The voice didn't seem quite so benign anymore, and when she insisted that I seek medical attention, I duly complied, and which proved to be mistake number two. I spent some time telling the college GP about what I perceived to be the real problem: anxiety, low self-worth, fears about the future, and was met with bored indifference until I mentioned the voice. Upon which he dropped his pen, swung round, and began to question me with a show of real interest. And to be fair, I was desperate for interest and help, and I began to tell him about my strange commentator. And I always wish at this point the voice had said, "She is digging her own grave." I was referred to a psychiatrist who likewise took a grim view of the voice's presence, subsequently interpreting everything I said through a lens of latent insanity. For example, I was part of a student TV station that broadcast news bulletins around the campus, and during an appointment, which was running very late, said, "I'm sorry, doctor, I've got to go. I'm reading the news at six. Now it's down in my medical records that Eleanor has delusions that she's a television news broadcaster." <laughs> It was at this point that events began to rapidly overtake me. A hospital admission followed, the first of many. A diagnosis of schizophrenia came next, and then, worst of all, a toxic, tormenting sense of hopelessness, humiliation, and despair about myself and my prospects. 
But having been encouraged to see the voice, not as an experience, but as a symptom, my fear and resistance towards it intensified. Now, essentially, this represented taking an aggressive stance towards my own mind, a kind of psychic civil war. And in turn, this caused the number of voices to increase and grow progressively hostile and menacing. Helplessly and hopelessly, I began to retreat into this nightmarish inner world in which the voices were destined to become both my persecutors and my only perceived companions. They told me, for example, that if I proved myself worthy of their help, then they could change my life back to how it had been. And a series of increasingly bizarre tasks were set, a kind of labor of Hercules. It started off quite small, for example, pull out three strands of hair, but gradually grew more extreme, culminating in commands to harm myself and a particularly dramatic instruction. You see that tutor over there? You see that glass of water? We have to go over and pour it over him in front of the other students which I actually did, and which, needless to say, did not endear me to the faculty. In effect, a vicious cycle of fear, avoidance, mistrust and misunderstanding had been established. This was a battle in which I felt powerless and incapable of establishing any kind of peace or reconciliation. Two years later, and the deterioration was dramatic. By now, I had the whole frenzied repertoire. Terrifying voices, grotesque visions, bizarre, intractable delusions. My mental health status had been a catalyst for discrimination, verbal abuse, and physical and sexual assault. And I've been told by my psychiatrist, Elner, you'd be better off with cancer, because cancer is easier to cure than schizophrenia. I've been diagnosed, drugged, and discarded, and was by now so tormented by the voices that I attempted to drill a hole in my head in order to get them out. Now, looking back on the wreckage and despair of those years, it seems to me now as if someone died in that place, and yet someone else was saved. A broken and haunted person began that journey, but the person who emerged was a survivor and would ultimately grow into the person I was destined to be. Many people have harmed me in my life, and I remember them all, but the memories grow pale and faint in comparison with the people who've helped me. The fellow survivors, the fellow voice hearers, the comrades and collaborators. The mother, who never gave up on me, who knew that one day I would come back to her and was willing to wait for me for as long as it took. The doctor, who only worked with me for a brief time, but who reinforced his belief that recovery was not only possible, but inevitable. And during a devastating period of relapse, told my terrified family, don't give up hope. I believe that Eleanor can get through this. Sometimes, you know, it snows as late as May, but summer always comes eventually. 14 minutes is not enough time to fully credit those good and generous people who fought with me and for me and who waited to welcome me back from that agonized, lonely place. But together, they forged a blend of courage, creativity, integrity, and an unshakable belief that my shattered self could become healed and whole. I used to say that these people saved me, but what I now know is they did something even more important in that they empowered me to save myself. And crucially, they helped me to understand something which I'd always suspected, that my voices were a meaningful response to traumatic life events, particularly childhood events, and as such were not my enemies, but a source of insight into solvable emotional problems. 
Now, at first, this was very difficult to believe, not least because the voices appeared so hostile and menacing. So in this respect, a vital first step was learning to separate out a metaphorical meaning from what I'd previously interpreted to be a literal truth. So, for example, voices which threatened to attack my home, I learned to interpret as my own sense of fear and insecurity in the world rather than an actual objective danger. Now, at first, I would have believed them. I remember, for example, sitting up one night on guard outside my parents' room to protect them from what I thought was a genuine threat from the voices, because I'd had such a bad problem with self-injury that most of the cutlery in the house had been hidden. So I ended up arming myself with a plastic fork, like picnic wear, and sort of sat outside the room clutching it, waiting to spring into action should anything happen. It was like, don't mess with me. Got a plastic fork, don't you know? Um, that was strategic. But a later response, and much more useful, would be to try and deconstruct the message behind the words. So when the voices warned me not to leave the house, then I would thank them for drawing my attention to how unsafe I felt, because if I was aware of it, then I could do something positive about it. But go on to reassure both them and myself that we were safe and didn't need to feel frightened anymore. I would set boundaries for the voices and try to interact with them in a way that was assertive yet respectful, establishing a slow process of communication and collaboration in which we could learn to work together and support one another. Throughout all of this, what I would ultimately realize was that each voice was closely related to aspects of myself and that each of them carried overwhelming emotions that I'd never had an opportunity to process or resolve. Memories of sexual trauma and abuse, of anger, shame, guilt, low self-worth, the voices took the place of this pain and gave words to it. And possibly one of the greatest revelations was when I realized that the most hostile and aggressive voices actually represented the parts of me that had been hurt the most profoundly. And as such, it was these voices that needed to be shown the greatest compassion and care. It was armed with this knowledge that ultimately I would gather together my shattered self, each fragment represented by a different voice, gradually withdraw from all my medication and return to psychiatry. Only this time, from the other side. Ten years after the voice first came, I finally graduated, this time with the highest degree in psychology the university had ever given, and one year later, the highest master's. Which I always say isn't bad for a mad woman. In fact, one of the voices actually dictated the answers during an exam, which technically possibly counts as cheating. And, <laughs> and to be honest, sometimes I quite enjoyed their attention as well. As Oscar Wilde has said, the only thing worse than being talked about is not being talked about. It also makes you very good at eavesdropping because you can listen to two conversations simultaneously, so it's not all bad. I worked in mental health services, I spoke at conferences, I published book chapters and academic articles, and I argued, and continue to do so, the relevance of the following concept, that an important question in psychiatry shouldn't be what's wrong with you, but rather what's happened to you. And all the while, I listened to my voices, with whom I'd finally learned to live with peace and respect, and which in turn reflected a growing sense of compassion, acceptance and respect towards myself. And I remember the most moving and extraordinary moment when supporting another young woman who was terrorized by her voices and becoming fully aware for the very first time that I no longer felt that way myself, but was finally able to help someone else who was. I'm now very proud to be a part of InterVoice, the organizational body of the International Hearing Voices Movement, an initiative inspired by the work of Professor Marys Rom and Dr. Sondra Escher, which locates voice hearing as a survival strategy, a sane reaction to insane circumstances, not as an aberrant symptom of schizophrenia to be endured, 
but a complex, significant, and meaningful experience to be explored. Together, we envisage and enact a society that understands and respects voice hearing, supports the needs of individuals who hear voices, and which values them as full citizens. This type of society is not only possible; it's already on its way. To paraphrase Chavez, once social change begins, it cannot be reversed. You cannot humiliate the person who feels pride. You cannot oppress the people who are not afraid anymore. For me, the achievements of the Hearing Voices movement are a reminder that empathy, fellowship, justice, and respect are more than words. They are convictions and beliefs, and that beliefs can change the world. In the last 20 years, the Hearing Voices movement has established Hearing Voices networks in 26 countries across five continents, working together to promote dignity, solidarity, and empowerment for individuals in mental distress, to create a new language and practice of hope. Which, at its very centre, lies an unshakable belief in the power of the individual. As Peter Levine has said, the human animal is a unique being, endowed with an instinctual capacity to heal and the intellectual spirit to harness this innate capacity. In this respect, for members of society, there is no greater honour or privilege than facilitating that process of healing for someone, to bear witness, to reach out a hand. To share the burden of someone suffering, and to hold the hope for their recovery. And likewise, for survivors of distress and adversity that we remember, we don't have to live our lives forever defined by the damaging things that have happened to us. We are unique. We are irreplaceable. What lies within us can never be truly colonized, contorted, or taken away. The light never goes out. As a very wonderful doctor once said to me. Don't tell me what other people have told you about yourself. Tell me about you. Thank you. An amazing talk by someone I just discovered. Her name is Eleanor Longden, and、uh, you might want to check her out.、Uh, she had this TED talk that I found,、um, but of course she's also on Facebook, and she's got this movement, as she mentioned, called、um, the Hearing Voices Society, I believe, and.、Um, It makes me want to connect with them and see if there's any way that I could also help because I know,、um, and this is maybe the more you know controversial thing I'm going to say on the show, but many people have come to me over the years who definitely were hearing voices and needed psychiatric help, who were going through, like she mentioned in her in her talk, you know, they were hearing horrible. Horrible messages, horrible directive—you know, telling them what to do—type of、um, voices in their head, and you know, re- really, really traumatic to live through. And then there were other people that came to me who were diagnosed already with schizophrenia, and they'd come to me and say, "My doctor says, you know, this is all in my head," but. 
I know some of it is, but some of it isn't. And I want you to help me figure it out. And those people were extremely interesting to me. And I was also very careful, you know, and a bit nervous. I didn't want to be saying something that would add to any kind of negative voice or pain. But that's not how it turned out, usually. Uh, Most of them told me that they felt very affirmed to have somebody objective and intuitive and open to what they're saying um, be able to help them discern what was self-generated voice in their head or, let's say, a negative energy around them or, or past trauma. And what what was uh, their higher self or their spiritual spirit guide or something around them that was positive because they were getting both. And I hope that there's going to be more and more openness between these fields. I doubt it, but I can still hope. Because I just saw so many people over the years in such pain like that that um, if somebody had come along, let's say to even this lady, Eleanor, in the height of her crisis, perhaps who was open spiritually, they could have affirmed some of what she, or validated some of what she was feeling instead of the medical world, which makes it, it's all about you. It's all in your head. You're nuts. You need these pills and, and make, and shaming and, you know, this huge mountain of, of shame and low self-esteem the person has to overcome thinking that they can't trust their own mind. So if somebody could step in a little earlier um, and discern and help the person say, no, no, I sense that same thing as you do. Um, I'm perceiving it as well. It's not just you. Oh my Lord, the peace that it could give some people. Of course, this is all very, very delicate terrain. But I, I bring it up because I did meet some people along my path who were diagnosed as paranoid schizophrenic, they were taking medication, and they were showing up to my intuition workshops or trainings or readings, and they were able to make those discernments. And once they did, they started to function higher in their lives. And that would be my, that would, that would just make me so happy if I could help more people in that position. So we've seen some of the extremes tonight, you know, of voices in your head. Now, you have to know the signs of when you are having something like this lady, and you might have schizophrenia. But I would say most people um, listening to this, you probably don't. I can't say that for sure, but I would, I would doubt it. Uh, you have to you have to see if something is persistent, repetitive, and extremely negative or scary, you know, and the progression, and you have to seek out help for that. But we're not going to go into that terrain tonight because I'm not a qualified psychiatrist. What I will encourage you to do is examine, like we said, that inner critic. If you're getting negative thoughts that put yourself down, that tell you nobody cares, um, that tell you you've got to be perfect, or that tell you, oh, I'll never, 
I don't know, I'll never make enough money or I'll never lose weight or some negative self-defeating thoughts that always put you down. You've got to start to spot that as coming from you or coming from trauma. And even in her, her talk, she says she finally got to a point where she was able to process trauma that was the root of the schizophrenia. So by doing this exercise of mindfulness and being aware of your negative thinking and your negative soundtrack now, you can possibly avert it going any further into something scary. And you can silence that voice by first imagining it as something outside of you and saying, ah, I don't believe you. I think you're wrong. And then making it into a personification make it into what does it look what's that person look like who's sitting who's that person who's sitting there saying that to me and then you tell them to be quiet or you offer them a cup of tea and a nap and you don't internalize them and take them seriously because when you hear your inner voice in a positive way and you connect to your higher self or to your spiritual guidance it's going to give you positive it's going to give you calm it's going to give you ease and reassurance and motivation this is a quote from um, an author lessons learned from the path less traveled his name is looks like zero Dean yeah anyway he writes his name funny so but it's a great quote it says how to find your inner voice in difficult times and we're in difficult times right folks so when you're facing a challenge ask yourself this what would a stronger more confident and even better version of myself do in this situation so think of a think of something that you're weighing right now that you're having trouble figuring out what should I do about. Now imagine what would a stronger, more confident, and even better version of yourself do in that situation. When you truly give it a thought and you get an answer, that's your inner voice talking and it's generally a good idea to listen. I would agree with that. I think if you can visualize yourself in in you as your best self, imagine yourself as confident. Imagine yourself calmly, confidently handling the situation that you're not sure of what to do. Imagine that 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 confident self is not worried whether they lose a job or a relationship or whatever if they do what's true for them imagine yourself as not having fear to do the right thing imagine yourself as acting noble or sophisticated diplomatic now how would that version of you handle the problem at hand And when you can visualize that, or when you get an answer of how to deal with the problem, now you're tapping in to your best self, your higher self, your positive potential, or possibly your 
spirit guides are around you in a loving way, guiding you towards doing the right thing. And we can learn to be more still so that we hear and develop that positive voice. And first we might have to bypass or silence the negative ones. And it's going to be a mix. And in the middle of that you might hear other little messages or words that clairaudience pops in and out. There's a lot to discern, but the more, you, the more still you are, the quieter you become, the more you're going to hear. And just remember again, as we said, not to shush your inner voice because it's who you really are. When you can get yourself past some of that negative thinking and into the positive and hear, when you start to hear things coming through in that state of mind, it's more likely to be clairaudience and it's more likely to be something that you can act on that will be true, that will help you in your life. So we're going to leave you off with one more song for the evening. I hope you enjoyed the show. I'm going to come back fairly uh, soon with the clairsentience, which is another fun one, a uh, fun topic that most people will, I think, relate to. Um, but still, we're going to talk about how to know when it's real and how to deal with it. So I hope you have a, a wonderful week. Take care. Start, I'm going to start with this Just a single thought followed by words I hope I don't miss Miss anything Write you a letter But it's better that you hear me I suppose I can see that it's only share the meaning of the love for you I'm feeling. People saying what they will. I don't care. I'm hearing voices all around. I'm hearing voices calling out. What would they say? Listen to